Thank everybody for listening to the KBOO Evening News here on KBOO Portland, 90.7 FM, your community radio station. This is Totality of Circumstances. I'm Sam Bowman. And I'm Jasmine Moneymaker. We are in our spring membership drive this month, and thank you so much for tuning in. Um, um, we did not have a spring membership drive last year because of, uh, oh, I don't know, one of a number of reasons, but we have one right now, and you should become a member today, a sustaining member of KBOO Community Radio. Go to kboo.fm slash give, that's one way. Or you can uh, text KBOO, K-B-O-O, to 44321, and we have a couple of other options for you that we can go into uh, later on in the show, including uh, our snail mail address, which, you know, tune in for that later. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. So we are Totality of Circumstances. This is a monthly show on the fourth Tuesday of every month. Um, And we focus on police community relations here in Portland, the history of policing and community responses to our uh, police bureau here. This month, we're looking at the Citizen Review Committee, which is uh, something that we check in on pretty regularly on the show. And it they generally have monthly meetings and they are the one glimpse that uh, the public actually has into the uh, workings of the police discipline process in the city of Portland. Um, this month, there's a historic case that has made it all the way to the city council. And we have a conversation with Portland Cop Watch's Dan Handelman around the significance of that and what actually happened. Um, But first, before we uh, take most of the show to talk about something that happened weeks ago, um, we do want to acknowledge that there has been a lot of news recently as it relates to police accountability and everything that happened last year. Um, On April 20th, Derek Chauvin, uh, formerly of the Minneapolis Police Department, was found guilty of the murder of George Floyd. And, you know, while the... uh... that Chauvin trial was unfolding and at the forefront of everybody's mind, many other loved ones were lost to police violence in this country, including some really well-known at this point names like Dante Wright and Adam Toledo. The video came out of um, the 13-year-old boy being killed um, in, in locally in Portland. Robert Delgado was killed in Lentz Park. And there was also the killing of, um, of Makia Bryant. So we just want to take a minute to um, acknowledge that while we don't always focus on the most violent or the most harmful aspects of policing on this show, we felt like, feel like it's really important as, you know, especially this month to stop for a moment and just acknowledge, acknowledge those people who were lost. I mean, that that really is the backdrop against which all of these sort of more low-key accountability-based meetings are happening. We're going to be talking a lot later in the show about the new oversight board that's been proposed in, not proposed, but uh, voted into the city charter by the people of Portland. You know, that would not be happening if not for the protests against the 
um, murder of George Floyd. Promise we're going to spend the bulk of this show discussing the April 8th uh, hearing at City Council that decided a case before the Citizen Review Committee. And the Citizen Review Committee is a all-volunteer body in the City Auditor's Independent Police Review Division that reviews uh, citizen appeals of misconduct cases. So a little bit of a recap on this is that um, complaint stems from an incident in August of 2018. Then it went through like the original appeal in December of 2019, two different conference hearings, one in August and one in February. And then in April, it uh, this month, earlier this month, it found its way to the city council. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Commissioner Mapps. Thank you, Commissioner Ryan. Commissioner Rubio, I'm sorry you're out of my. Oh, you did give. Thank you very much. And so now we are back to Ms. Avalos for the Citizen Review Committee presentation of issues for council to decide. Bear with me, I've got a lot to discuss. That was CRC Chair Candace Avalos. All right, so I'm gonna start with the relevant facts. The appellant purchased a vehicle on July 15th, 2018. And on July 24th, 2018, she and the seller visited the Department of Motor Vehicles or DMV in order to carry out the process of transferring the title and registration into appellant's name. Upon submitting her application for title and registration, appellant was issued a notice of transaction submitted by the DMV. And it also serves as a receipt for the transaction. On August 5th, 2018, appellant reported the vehicle stolen. Officer A responded to the complaint, but did not take a stolen vehicle report. Appellant and Officer A gave conflicting accounts of which document appellant presented as proof of ownership when trying to make the stolen vehicle report and the appellant, appellant claims she presented the notice of transaction submitted. Officer A claims that appellant did not present this document, but instead presented a handwritten bill of sale. Officer A refused to take the stolen vehicle report based on his belief that the documentation shown by the appellant was insufficient to serve as proof of ownership. The two complaints in this case related to uh, the officer failing to basically document uh, this woman's vehicle is being stolen, which had a bunch of heavy consequences for her. Sam, I don't know if you want to recap that part. You know, eventually it was impounded in Salem and they even the police contacted the person who stole it, were unable to make an arrest or charges because the appellant, according to the officer, Officer A, did not have the required proof of ownership. And unfortunately for this woman, it resulted in the loss of her car. The cost was 1800 to get the car released, and she was not able to pay that. Yeah. Further, the CRC found that a reasonable person could not conclude that Officer A was in compliance with the directive, C subsection H specifically, when he declined to call a supervisor to verify whether he should file the stolen vehicle report with the paperwork that the appellant provided. Chief Lavelle disagreed with the CRC's recommended finding at a conference hearing held on August 5th, 2020, and determined further investigation was needed by the Portland Police Bureau into the applicable DMV processes. 
In addition, Chief Lavelle's post-conference hearing memo dated August 18, 2020, stated that, quote, the testimony and exhibits provided both uh, by both the appellant and the appellant's advocate added information to the case file that was not available to the police bureau when the original findings were proposed. We covered the second of two conference hearings in the February uh, show. This month, the Portland City Council, uh, the appeal made its way there. The Portland City Council is the last stop uh, when there's a dispute between the Citizen Review Committee and the Chief of Police. I don't know if you feel like it's worth it, Sam, to talk through a little bit what the point of the conference hearing is. It's sort of analogous to like pre-trial mediation. Chief of Police comes to the CRC and there's a rehashing of both sides and then the from what I've seen, the chief will kind of make a proposal. The CRC will vote whether or not to accept that. Then if they don't agree, it goes to city council, and then that's binding. There were two procedure allegations. One was that the officer would not take a vehicle theft report from the appellant, which was a violation of the stolen vehicles directive. And the other was that the officer did not adequately document the missing vehicle. In the original appeal hearing back in December of 2019, uh, the CRC voted four to three, so the slimmest margin possible, to change the finding for the first allegation that he would not take a vehicle theft report from the finding of exonerated to sustained. Um, By the time the second conference hearing had rolled around, the CRC voted uh, six to one, I believe, to change it from exonerated to sustained. So the CRC became more convinced that the finding needed to change. And the Portland Police Bureau, as represented by Chief Lavelle, uh, basically was unmovable. So it's a long way round to say that it went to the Portland City Council for a final decision. There was a little bit of history made. Um, I know this is not like the most groundbreaking case, but. Uh, It did represent the first time that the police commissioner voted to change the finding by the Portland Police Bureau in a disciplinary case like this. And uh, we have a conversation with Dan Handelman, who has been to probably like more CRC hearings than anyone alive. I don't know if you would agree with that statement, Sam. Probably close, if not completely accurate. Uh, We've been watching the oversight boards here in Portland since 1992 when we started as a group. And there's never been a case where the council had a a vote to sustain a finding of police misconduct where the mayor slash police commissioner voted in favor of it. So the fact that it was unanimous was um, not as important as the fact that that unanimous vote included the mayor. uh, And that, that was highly unusual. Ted Wheeler was the only council member present at this hearing who was also present at the last hearing. He was the only no vote on that. And he seemed almost incredulous then that there was a citizen body that could overrule the police command on a decision of discipline. And do you think... Well, it wasn't just that it was a citizen. He felt uncomfortable that the elected city council was able to do that. Yeah. 
This is a process that is prescribed by city charter. And I have serious concerns about this process. I have concerns about having a simple majority of an elected city council being able to overturn the police commissioner, the chief, the independent police review, the internal affairs, the chief of operations, the commander, and the lieutenant on what is effectively an HR disciplinary matter. And he didn't make any kind of remarks to that effect during this hearing. I don't know if that is partly because of the George Floyd uprising and his sort of quasi-awakening, or if it's because he knows the new system is on the horizon and um, he didn't want to spend any more time saying he doesn't like the existing system because he knows a new one's on the way. But um, regardless, you know, I think we've talked about the history of this before, but it's kind of important that one of the reasons the council has the final say is that the old system, PIAC, that wasn't the case. And there were three instances where police chiefs, twice under Chief Moose and once under Chief Croker, where they said to the mayor, uh, to the city council, thank you for your suggestion to sustain this allegation against the officer, but I disagree with you. Thank you very much. And uh, to, to me, so you know, quite opposite of how Mayor Wheeler reacted at that uh, 2019 hearing, uh, to me that, that speaks to very loudly that the you know, appointed chief can overrule the elected council. So I'm actually glad that it functions the way it did and it functioned in a way that uh, you know, came out well for this appellant. Uh, you also should probably also remember that in the history of the Citizen Review Committee, there have only been four appeals to council. So um, yes, you're right. Uh, Commissioner Hardesty was absent at this one, but she was there at the one before. The rest of the council has changed over. The one before that was the tasering case that was heard in 2017. Um, and uh, Mayor Wheeler was on that one as well. And that came out as a insufficient evidence finding. And before that, there wasn't another one uh, in 14 years between 2003 and 2017. And the one in 2003 uh, was a case where the CRC wanted to sustain the allegation. And the IPR director came forward and they, the council asked, what do you think we should do? And the IPR director said, I think you should find insufficient evidence, which is what they did. And then subsequently, five members of the CRC quit. One of those five members was T.J. Browning, who was the appeals process advisor in this case. They spoke about the fact that dis there would be discipline as a result of this. Um, maybe you can clarify this. Will it go to the PRB now and get a another review? Or is the PRB process done and it just becomes the chief's job to decide what discipline is imposed, which could be anything from command counseling at the least severe, possibly to something more dramatic? Termination. I really doubt that's going to happen. Um, yeah, no, so we, there, I couldn't have answered your question uh, before the May 2019 hearing where there's a sustained finding that had never happened, so nobody knew what the next step was. Uh, Chief Outlaw actually uh, directed the police review board that they were allowed to deliberate on a proposed discipline but they could not change the finding that came from the city council, which was, I think, the appropriate thing for her to tell them to do. If you read through, through the really bad summary report that we get from the police review board, you'll see that they just debated and they felt that there was no misconduct in that case, and so they recommended the lowest discipline uh, 
pretty much the lowest discipline possible. And ultimately, the chief uh, gave that officer, in that case, less than the recommended discipline for um, uh, retaliation, which was what that case was about. Uh, so we'll see what happens with this case. Uh, in this case, the police commissioner who has to sign off on the discipline is going to be part of making the final decision. Because what the PRB does is they only make a recommendation anyway. Is it uh, still correct that you're applying to be part of the committee that's um, tasked with facilitating the new oversight board? Or creating? Yeah, well, these applications were due March 15, and uh, it's now April. It's almost the end of April when we're talking, and I've heard nothing back about how they're making those appointments. I did hear that over 100 people applied for the 15 seats, I think it is, on the commission, right? Each, yeah, each commissioner, each elected commissioner gets to pick three commissioners for this um, body that's going to design the new system. So as much as, I mean, I don't know how much we're going to get into this, but as much as people are expecting the new system to be up and running in 18 months, uh, because this body, by the resolution that creates it, has 18 months to figure out what the new board's going to look like, it's going to be a while before the new board is up and running. And what do you see as the prospects for the CRC and IPR between now and then? Well, you know, that's, I think that's an interesting, but, you know, if you know that your restaurant's going to shut down in three months or whatever because your lease is running out, you don't stop serving people um, breakfast, you know? So I think what happened with PIAC was that the IPR and CRC were created and this, this process was much, much faster. Um, back in 2000, uh, the, the mayor put together a work group that I sat on, and we made a proposal that came out late, late in the year in 2000. And around April that year, um, the auditor, then auditor, Gary Blackmer, put together a package suggesting what the um, new board should look like. The um, city council voted on it in May or June of that year. And the IPR staff was hired, and they were putting together the Citizen Review Committee by October of that year. So that happened really quickly, you know. And a lot of the things that are in that proposal are, uh, you know, looking like they're going to be elements of the new board. But anyway, my point, your question was, what, what's going to happen with the IPR and TRC? I think this is one of the biggest problems we have right now in the city that's not being talked about. This, the, the hearing that we're talking about the appeal hearing the city council was one of the most unusual ones I've ever seen because the independent police review did not have a staff person present. I told you how the IPR director was made a suggestion to the city council at the first hearing and the IPR generally uh, since then have learned their lesson and they say this is what happened in the investigation, this is when we got it, this is what the evidence was that we looked over and this is how the finding was um, back to you city council. Um, but the IPR wasn't there. And I, the, I believe that the reason the IPR wasn't there is that they have been told by the auditor not to go in front of city council. Uh, a few weeks prior to that hearing, there was a budget work session where the auditor brought forward her proposal about how to make sure the IPR does not lose all its staff between now and whenever the new board comes to place. Now, I'm not saying completely 100% agree with her proposal, especially because she said as a hard uh, the deadline of 
June 30th, 2022 of when the IPR is going to end. And I've already said it's going to take more 18 months once the commission is put together. To, maybe she threw that down on the table, hoping the city council would push back and say, well, if you set this thing up, instead of saying there's a hard deadline, say, we're going to start this body um, simultaneously to the implementation of the new board, uh, then we'd probably be much further along than we are. Instead, what happened was Commissioner Hardesty um, berated the auditor for creating a system that nobody needed, this new, the new investigations team, called her arrogant for not um, doing things the city council had asked her to do before, even though she's an independently elected uh, official who in the city charter says that basically she can do whatever she wants. Now there's, uh, so we have, and the, the day before the hearing at uh, city council, they appointed a bunch of new members to the citizen review committee, like more members than they even need because they only have five open seats and they appointed 14 members. That or, or resolution was introduced to the city council by Mayor Wheeler, who is not in charge of the IPR CRC system. The auditor is, but she wasn't there either. Nobody from the IPR staff was there either. Yeah. I'm sure that's because the auditor said, I don't want anybody going in front of city council until I get an apology from Commissioner Hardesty and until we have a guarantee, she wrote in a memo, a guarantee of how people are going to be, be treated when they appear in front of city council. And, and what's problematic about it is what gets lost, and this is the question that you asked, that how are we going to make a smooth transition from the current system to the new one? Because at the point that we keep making at Portland Cop Watch is we do not want to go back to 1982 when the only people who were receiving and investigating police complaints against the police was internal affairs. Mm -hmm. and that's what's going to happen if you have no IPR. And I know people think the IPR is worthless. You know, I think they're slightly above that in terms of the, if you had a chart from worthless to completely fantastic. <laughs> they're definitely, I don't think they're completely worthless. And I think that having no citizen oversight body is worse than having um, the IPR. And I'd really like to see the city figure out a reasonable plan to transition from the existing board into the new one. Uh, and there are questions that are going to come up during the implementation and the design. We talked about the police review board, which you know people may not know is kind of internal to the police, and they they don't have public meetings. The CRC does. They discuss whether or not an officer should get disciplined. That person who made the complaint can't appear in front of them. Is that going to change? I don't know. Uh, it's not explicitly addressed in the ballot measure, but I would hope that um, we're going to have more of that stuff happening in public, and that. Uh, those hearings are going to be also heard by the same body, or uh, if, if it's not the same members that hear uh, individual cases and appeals, that there be some subcommittee that uh, deals with those kind of cases. And I wonder, Dan, like after after all of the years that you've been at this work, like what, how much, how much do you feel like the answer is another that there's that there's real potential in, in another committee? And the one that the one that got put on the ballot. Yeah, or or even one that you know would succeed at the full to the full potential of what was put on the ballot. There are still many obstacles to that. The right. well, you know, but, pure idea but, coming but, to fruition. No, I hear what you're saying, but I think here's the thing: like there's there's abolitionist groups that think that cop watch is too liberal because what we're doing is we're commenting on the existing system. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that. Until the police are abolished or replaced, um, we have police, and they're harming people in the community. And I, my um, philosophy and our group's philosophy is that while that's going on, we've got to minimize the amount of harm they're doing to the community. 
We don't want to see people shot. We don't want to see people beat up. We don't want to see their civil liberties infringed upon. And so the, the, we're, that's what we're doing um, uh, while the police still exist. And I think that's true, too, of any kind of oversight system. That you know, And people say nothing ever happens. But if you read the police report reports, there's constantly cops getting fired, uh, getting days off without pay. The problem is it's almost always for lying, cheating, stealing, sexual misconduct, mm-hmm. or you know, kind of minor things, and almost never for use of force. In fact, the use of force cases that go in front of the police review board are almost always the officer didn't file a report. Um, and then you read the underlying case, and you're like, but why weren't they found out of policy of the force? Uh, but, um, uh, but still, um, we could just have the police running around doing everything and never getting held accountable. So at least there's something there. I mean, it gives you a, it's like having your foot in the door so you can open it to something better. And uh, um, Well, Dan, is there anything, I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything else that you feel like we didn't cover that is important to talk about? Huh. Well, I thought uh, considering the fact that there's an enormous turnover on the CRC, there are a lot of new members, but they put together a really compelling package uh, uh, describing the circumstances of the case, the evidence they looked at, and the process that happened getting them to city council. And I thought that was really important. Um, so when we're talking about this transition to the new system, I've even heard you know some of the members of CRC feel like maybe they should be carried over into the new system. I, I, you know, my guess is that basically it's going to be dissolved and you have to apply again. But I don't think that would be a bad thing at all. And I think there was some carryover from the end of PIAC to the beginning of CRC, but I, I'm not remembering very clearly now. Uh, but I think that one of the biggest problems we have as a society, as a city, and especially dealing with police, is uh, uh, institutional knowledge that gets lost when you do things like this, when you change from one system to another, when you change from one chief to another, when you change from one mayor to another. Um, and sometimes they just try to make up new rules. Uh, you know, well, <laughs> a side issue, uh, this mayor is very um, crafty, I guess, in telling the new members of city council, who several of them now have never been into city council chambers for a meeting, right? Because they, mm-hmm. they've been under COVID ever since they got elected. So it's Ryan, Maps, and Rubio have never sat in city council chambers as council members. So when the mayor says to them, as he did during the joint terrorism task force hearing, oh, you know, uh, you can't vote against accepting a report because it's just procedural. They defer to him and they believe him because he's been on the council for longer than anybody else. But that's it's complete horse hockey. Um, there was a, CR, a, a joint terrorism task force report that went before city council um, in the early 2010s where it was a three to two vote. It almost did not uh, get accepted, the report. Um, but... Uh, so those kinds of things are important, uh, and I'm just hoping that what people learn about how police policies, procedures, and investigations are supposed to do can get carried from the CRC over to the new system. And that goes for the IPR, too. So as, as, as much as they don't do everything we want them to do, I don't want to see all the institutional knowledge walk out the door, because we're, then we're starting from scratch again. And it's, to me, that's, that's more frustrating and that's, you know, that just adds, it compounds the problems we already have of trying to hold officers accountable. Well, Dan, we definitely appreciate your depth of knowledge about this stuff and appreciate you talking to us.
Thanks again to Dan Handelman of Portland Cop Watch and Portland Peace and Justice Works for being so generous with his time and chatting with us for this month's show. There's a longer version of that interview up at kboo.fm on the Totality of Circumstances show page. And it goes into a little bit more depth on the latest CRC hearing and the history of the CRC and police accountability in Portland and what to expect from the new board that was voted into the charter last year. And if you learned something from today's show or took anything away from it, feel free to pass your thanks on to KBOO Community Radio. We are in the middle of our spring membership drive for 2021. It'll be from April 1st to May 22nd. You do have time, but why not become a member right now? Uh, you can go to kboo.fm give. You could also click donate in our mobile app if you have that. And in case you didn't know, we have a mobile app. If you prefer uh, texting, you can text KBOO to 44321. You can also just send us money to KBOO at uh, 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, 97214. Stick a stamp on that sucker and put it in the mail. And I'm going to go ahead and guess that the easiest thing for most folks would be the texting one. So that's the one I'll lock us out with here. Text KBOO to 44321 to become a member today. Uh, You've been listening to Totality of Circumstances here on KBOO Community Radio. We are on every last Tuesday of the Last fourth Tuesday. We're on the fourth Tuesday of every month at 5.30 p.m. right after the KBOO Evening News. I'm Sam Bowman. And I'm Jasmine. Good night, everyone. Good night.